Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Innovation for the International Fresh Produce Association. On the podcast, we get to hear from people that are shaping the produce industry with solutions to our biggest problems. Join me as we uncover the opportunities and advancements shaping the future of produce through a tech lens. Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech, where insight meets innovation. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we're continuing our journey of the season discussing green packaging. My guest is Wyatt Macy, Director of Sustainability for Taylor Farms. Wyatt has a great background in sustainability and is super passionate about looking at the entire life cycle of a product to determine its sustainability, not just at one step along the way. What I love about talking to Wyatt is his technical thoughtfulness about the overall impact packaging is having throughout the chain. Welcome, Wyatt. Thank you for having me. Sure. Let's start by having you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your role at Taylor. Okay. So as stated, I'm I'm White Macy, Director of Sustainability at Taylor Farms. I kind of got my footing in the produce industry back in 2015. I was fresh out of business school and I uh, started an internship my last year at, at school in sustainability in a small consulting firm in Salinas, California, laser focused on sustainability in the produce chain. I ended up earning a full-time position and was with that company for several years before joining Taylor Farms about three years ago. In my current position, I focus on a broad scope of issues ranging from social accountability, water, energy, waste, and packaging. So that's why I'm here today. Wow. That's a lot. If you, if you can solve all that, right? <laughs> so let's start with the first big question. What is renewable? This is one of those overused words that everybody talks about, but how do you define it? And, and when you're thinking about it, what do you classify as renewable? Yeah, it is a surprisingly complex question. But uh, in my definition, I'd say a renewable resource is an infinite, either infinite to our understanding, such as sun, we hope it stays there forever, or a material resource that its replenishment rate can easily match that rate of consumption far into the foreseeable future. I like to say that often a renewable resource doesn't necessarily mean sustainable, but oftentimes if we're talking about a sustainable material, most oftentimes it is a renewable resource. So in, in thinking about that, about packaging, how, how would you define renewable packaging in using that definition? Right. So I think today we talk a lot about a material or packaging sustainability or renewability based on the material selection itself. So whether it be plastic or fiber based, I don't think that's necessarily the right full strategy we need to go about deciding on what's sustainable, what's not. We really need to take into account the entire materials lifecycle, not just the material, but the system it exists in today and its supply chain on how it gets to market. One of the best ways to do that is what's called a life cycle assessment. Right. I was just going to ask you that. Um, So for people who don't follow this, can you explain what life cycle impact is and what a life cycle assessment is, which are very specific and technical things that you use in your industry. They can get very complex, so I'll try and bring it down. And I want to preface by saying I'm not an expert by any means as well. I've been on it more than the rest of us are. (laughs) (laughs) But ultimately, a, a life cycle assessment is a measure of the environmental impact of a product or service throughout every phase of its life cycle. So what's a life cycle? It's things like the raw material extraction, the manufacturing and processing stage, the transportation stage, the usage and retail of that product or service, and then the end of life management. And then life cycle impact 
is what the quantitative measurements are of that LCA, of that life cycle assessment. So common areas and categories could include something like human toxicity or ecotoxicity or total water use or fossil fuel use or our favorite carbon footprint or GHG emissions. And when you do a life cycle analysis, are there very specific metrics and is there like a, a form that you fill out? Does everyone do them the same way so that you can compare life cycle analysis? That's a really hard question and a really tough one, unfortunately. So there's kind of three, a couple ways you can go about an LCA. One is like a very high level, what you could call a conceptual LCA. It's using, it's relying on a lot of industry data, people that have conducted LCAs themselves. And there's huge databases out there that have all this information. So for instance, if I make a PET thermoform tray, what did it, someone did an LCA on that, or they might have done an LCA on and collected all that data on electricity use, water use, et cetera. So that lives in a big database. And so you can use a modeling tool to run an LCA, or you can perform what's called a more detailed LCA and actually collect that data yourself. So for instance, if we want to do our PET thermoform tray specifically to us, we'll work directly with our supply chain and collect that data. How much electricity did it take to produce this or manufacture it? Where did you get your raw materials? What did it take to get those? They can range from you know, take maybe a couple months for that conceptual modeling versus years and hundreds of thousands of dollars to do a very detailed LCA. But the bummer is, is they're very contextual. So it, it's a a slice in the pie, right? It's a, a small segment of that in time, if you will. So it's a, a small picture. So it, there's a lot of context that goes to it. So unfortunately, it's very, very hard to compare one LCA to another. There's reasons why there's formalized reports and how those should come out. But again, it's scanning it with a fine tooth comb to understand the context of where did this exist? What data was modeled versus actually collected? So there's a lot of nuances to them, unfortunately. When you're looking at it from a Taylor Farms perspective and from your packaging, you don't have control on what happens for the rest of the chain. And so if you're looking at life cycle impact after it it leaves your packaging facility, how do you work with other parts of the chain to 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 fill that in and to understand what the impact is? Right. There's You can set up your LCA in different ways. There's cradle to gate where you're just measuring to your facility, not mm. the usage and et cetera. But if you want to do that cradle to grave type assessment, there's a lot of industries to work with. Like Refed is a great group on organics that's attempting to collect more data on usage of and what happens of food waste versus consumption. You know, human consumption, what's the impact of that? That's a very interesting metric to maybe look at. We do that, for instance, on cows, for cattle, on what that enteric fermentation process is and what that could create in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. So there's ways to do it. I think there are more groups that specialize in that effort, and you would really want to take a look at collaboration with them rather than take that on yourself. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So what should be accounted for in evaluating a packaging component sustainability? So start with like materials impact. Yeah. So I've, I, I bucketed it into try and simplify it into three sections. The first question is what's the material itself? What's its impact? So when looking at this, you would use again an LCA or LCA database, do it yourself, which could take too long. So when we're trying to make hundreds of decisions on this, modeling tools are a great tool to do so. So for example, a choice between maybe a PET thermoform tray, as I said, or maybe switching to fiber. What does that look like? Not just from an end-of-life perspective, but from a life cycle assessment perspective, 
what we've done internally is we've invested in tools that are modeling tools. So what we'll do is we'll collect manufacturing processes, unit weights, exact materials and resins going into that material. So we can model it within that tool and get an example of what could happen, what the potential environmental or life cycle impact is for each material selection. So we're trying to integrate that into the design phase. So we're not being so retroactive and re reactive to packaging rather and solving the issue up front in the design stages. So in the way you manage that, at Taylor Farms, I'm sure there's a lot of people that like, if you're going to change packaging, that involves a lot of people in the organization. So you can just give a hypothetical, but if, if there, if there was something that you said, okay, this is going to be much better from a life cycle and, and life cycle impact point of view, and we should really consider using this other material, whether it's fiber or something else, then how does that, so you make that recommendation and then what happens within the company? How, how do people consider it? Yeah, I should get in front of this, that this is the work in progress. We are trying to integrate that. My department, my team, we're trying to integrate that into our decisions. It's very much still a customer supplier conversation of, of I would say, functionality price. But we're slowly trying to integrate that into the conversation. Today, like I said, I think most conversations are end of life. We want to get to recyclability or compostability. And my team, we're trying to really introduce the, the concept of LCA and that it shouldn't just be or end of life focus. When you're talking about a full life cycle, end of life is just a small portion of that entire material selection. So for instance, if we're gonna switch to fiber, we could tenfold our water use. And is that something we really want to, to do? Should we, should we take it into our selection process? We really need to consider it. So as a company, it's, it's, we're just trying to get in the door right now. It's still very much a conversation of price and functionality at this point, but I think slowly it is. Now that end of life has really picked up in those decisions, I think this is a great time to start introducing LCA into those discussions as well. So most people that look at this and most other companies are just looking at end of life, right? They're just saying, okay, we're we're looking at our packaging. We're we're looking at what should we choose, what should we change. We're getting all this consumer pressure, and we're getting different regulatory pressures. So right now, they're making the decision based on end of life. And then what you're doing is trying to figure out, okay, end of life isn't always the best thing to look at. And so, how do those conversations go? I mean, because there, there must be a lot of people like you that are in these conversations, but then, but then you're in rooms where people are saying, "No, it's just end of life," because that's the only thing that we're being judged on. So, how how does that kind of work, and how are you educating people? Yeah, it's trying. It's it's a lot of education right now. A lot of conceptual discussions on what is LCA again, introducing what it even is and introducing how we need to take a look at this. And I give a lot of examples. For instance, the second question we should ask ourselves is, what does that material supply chain look like today? So even if we could get to an all fiber-based system or material selection, what if the fiber supply chain is still heavily contingent on fossil fuels? What if the plastics industry could convert to renewables quicker or go to a further circular economy quicker? You know, These are things that need to be taken into consideration I think ultimately, intuitively, yes, renewable resources should remain and, and, and continue to be the more sustainable alternative. But in today's supply chain, what does that system look like? If we switch from plastics to fiber, what is the full picture? What does that, that total life cycle impact look like from emission standpoint to water use? Surprisingly, in today's infrastructure, 
converting from a fiber tray or a plastic tray to a fiber tray actually not only increases water use, but also GHG emissions. Our composting rates aren't high. The amount of that material that will probably just end up in landfill will be pretty vast based on current data and current infrastructure. So it's really a, a twofold conversation, introducing this idea of life cycle impact for material selection, but then also taking into account what the infrastructure looks like today to handle that material that they really coincide. That's really fascinating because I know like um, some of the conversations I've had about this, you know, a lot of regulations are coming up, especially in Europe that are really requiring fiber and some of these different materials and they must be having these conversations too. So how are they looking at kind of the whole circular economy around, you know, using fiber if it, if it isn't, if it, if it really isn't sustainable? Right. I, I hope that's what is being considered is the system. We What we really need is more LCAs. I think mm-hmm. today's databases are highly limited in understanding a manufacturer in California versus one in Africa or Taiwan. I think we we just need a lot more LCA data out there. Everyone, I think we all as an industry and as consumer goods, we need to start working towards more LCAs to fully understand what that infrastructure looks like, what certain materials look like. Fiber in the U.S. doesn't look like fiber in probably Europe or Asia or Africa. So a lot of it is just more LCA data. If we all just went to modeling tools today and relied on that historical data, a lot of it's old, a lot of it's dated. And so I think that that would be a mistake as well. So I think a lot of it is just all of us collecting data at that LCA level so we can start measuring and making the right decisions on the right data would be key. You talked a little bit about the functionality, but that's got to be a big part too. I mean, it's going to be different in our industry given most of our products can be bruised and, you know, they need to be protected. So talk a little bit about the needed functionality and and what the container is protecting. Yeah. So that's kind of the third piece of how I I would probably assess uh, packaging's ultimate sustainability really is what's the functionality, what's its intended purpose, and what was it intended to protect our package? As you probably a lot of statistics out there, but food waste is probably responsible for an estimated 6% of global emissions and ranks among the top five in global emissions contributors. And that really needs to be taken into account when we're talking about packaging. I think we we know that plastic has an inherent purpose and there is some detriment to it. We're in this position today as society not thinking about that. I think we didn't think about the total systems problem that plastic presented in the, in the past. We were focused on price and convenience and we didn't take into account this life cycle, but it's done wonders for the, the especially the fresh produce industry without trying to get technical. And I'm again, I'm not an expert, so I'm going to try and hit a few points that really push this. In the fresh cut produce industry, when we harvest our material and and produce, it immediately, it's still living, one, and it immediately goes into what's like a self-defense mode, if you will. It changes its respiration patterns. It changes its, basically the way it's breathing, if you will. So when we package it, it's still a living, breathing product. And a lot of what it needs is what's called a modified atmosphere packaging environment, a map. Mm -hmm. And one of the best tools is plastic. It, it, it really is. And getting that mod, it's one, it's probably the only resource that today that really does what it has gotten us to this level is plastic. There's a few things in that discussion. For instance, one's called oxygen transmission rate. So when you package a product, especially a, again, a, a fresh fruit or vegetable, it's still breathing. Oxygen will always be able to permeate whatever material you stick it in. And so plastic's really good about 
I would say, altering the how the oxygen flows in and out of that material. And then there's a, uh, another criteria called water vapor transfer rate. And that's kind of the same thing, but has to do with moisture. And so you'll see oftentimes plastic, um, sometimes there'll be fog on the inside or a little residual. A lot of the times that's because of the way the water vapor transfer works within the packaging. Both these criteria points are extremely, extremely important to the fresh produce uh, industry and, and fresh produce in general of getting that value added product in a package environment and long shelf life. And so when we start to mess with that, for instance, it's really hard to get those same attributes in fiber. And so packaging has really gotten us a long way. And I think we do have to keep in mind what plastic has done for that space. So for example, if you took, I don't know, a head of romaine or cut romaine and put it in a traditional Ziploc bag, you maybe get about two to five days of freshness where we've done with or gone with plastics in our space, we're up to about 15 to 16 days. That's hefty. And so if you start to alter that, you start to also bring in other complex issue, issues such as food deserts and food equity, getting that food to areas of, of dire need. Uh, packaging, again, plastic specifically has done wonders for that. Well, yeah, it's fascinating with, with Taylor, the amount of um, different kinds of salad mixes and, and cut mixes that you guys have done. I mean, that which everybody loves and they just fill the, the grocery shelves. But that wouldn't have been possible without the new packaging technology. So we really, the reason we use so much plastic is because plastic works. And so really trying to figure out, you know, what can we do to not have to rely on that so much? It's, it's a big question, especially for you guys, right? Right. And, and again, it brings back us to number one of that material selection or number two of combining it with what if plastic does a lot of good for us? Can we improve the infrastructure and system that exists in today so that it does become fully, fully circle, uh, circular. I don't know the answer to that. I think that's what we're all working on today, but that's a question I think really needs to be considered based on the full, if you look at the entire system of what our food system exists in today, it's really important. Mm -hmm. So my last question, from where you sit and you get to see a lot of what's new and what might be coming, and also you see what's needed and, and what doesn't work, what are you most excited about in the changes around packaging and different kinds of packaging that as an industry that we're going to be able to make over the next couple of years? Yeah, I, I think there's a three kind of choices I would say. One is regulation. It's moving so fast. I think there's a lot of potential unintended consequences from that. So we really need to keep an eye on that. But two is this concept of food is medicine. I think it's, it's, it's growing. We keep hearing it a little bit, but we have in society today, we have quite a few health crises, especially in the U.S. And fresh cut fruit and vegetables are some of the best tools to, and solutions for those pandemics. And so I think we, we really have to consider that food is medicine and how do we get food to, to the greater amount and mass of people. And then this other initiative is sustainable packaging. So you have regulation, you have food as medicine, trying to get consumption of fresh fruits and vegetables to the greater amount of the population, and then sustainable packaging of trying to do it with the lesser of the environmental impact as possible. I think these three, these three initiatives interplaying is really going to shake up the industry. Uh, it's going to be a huge challenge, but I think it, they are, definitely are problems worth tackling, but they need to be in parallel. You can't be siloed in looking at just regulations focused on end of life, and you can't look at food as medicine, how to get it to the greater number of people as possible. And you can't think about sustainable packaging and lowering that environmental impact without considering the other two. 
So I think these these three initiatives going on right now are extremely important to pay attention to. We all need to be engaged in the conversation. We can't just let it happen outside our industry or uh, and we need it up and down the industry as well from consumers, our buyers and retailers to the growers, processors and, and packers. That is a great answer. <laughs> very, very thoughtful, um, as I said. Well, thank you so much for the conversation. And I think this is a great little primer for people to to start thinking about life cycle analysis and the importance of it. So thanks very much, Wyatt. Yeah, thank you for having me, Bonnie. That's it for today's Fresh Takes on Tech. This entire season of the podcast focusing on issues associated with green packaging is supported in part by a grant from the USDA FAS Technical Assistance for Specialty Crops program. Eat your vegetables and I'll see you next time.